Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. We're going to talk about the four horsemen today, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. Fair warning, we're only going to get through two of them, okay, because I'm nice to you like that. We'll talk about the other two next week, and maybe we'll finish by Christmas. I don't know. We'll see. Um, first thing, though, as a way of review, and just to bring everyone with me, all right, I know if you've, you've, you've been in this series, you've heard me say this a lot. I, you know, repetition is good, okay? Paul even said, it doesn't bother me to write you what I've written you before, okay? Repetition is good. Good teachers repeat themselves, okay? Good teachers repeat themselves, okay? So... The book of Revelation, I'm going to give you our interpretive model. This is from, you can, if you want to fact check me, okay, you can go back to week one. Revelation one, verse one through three is where we get our interpretive model from, okay? And this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Very first sentence, okay? The word revelation means unveiling. It means, it's the Greek word apocalypse, apocalypsis. It's to lift off a covering, to lift off the veil, an unveiling. Are you with me? So this book, the whole thing, say the whole thing, is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. All right? It's not the unveiling of the end times. It's not the unveiling of the Antichrist. Antichrist isn't even in the book. The word is not there. Okay? It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's going to show you Jesus. This whole thing is a vision John had that shows us Jesus. Just that right there could change your entire approach to the book, okay? So this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, and it's written in sign language, all right? We get that because it says an angel made it known to John, say made it known, and that is the Greek word for miracle sign or symbol. An angel put it in symbols for John. That's what it says, okay? So it's written in sign language, you know? It's in sign form. It's the Greek word for signified, signified. The angel put it in sign language, all right? And you need to know the signs of the times in order to understand this book, amen? Okay, so it's the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus written in sign language to the loving servants of God. It's only written to the loving servants, okay? The doulos, remember this, the, those who have uh, had their ear pierced at the door. I'm trying to do a quick review, but this is like... Week, I don't know what week, I'm lost. Week three, four, I don't know. Okay, so it's to the loving servants. It's only written to the loving servants. Are you a loving servant of God? Okay, then this is written to you. It is not written to those who just are doing, you know, let me say it this way. If you're just preaching for a paycheck, or you're just serving God because you feel like you have to, or you're, you know, volunteering for charity because you think that gets you favored with God, you're not going to understand a word of this book. It's the loving servants. It's the ones who love to serve the Lord. It's not those who are serving because they feel they have to or because that's just, that's what their family does. We're, you know, that's what we do. Certainly shouldn't teach this book if you're not a loving servant. If you can't even read it, you shouldn't teach it. Amen? Amen? There are many who are not loving servants of God that are trying to tell you what's in this book, and that's why the church is so confused. Just letting you know. So it's only written to the loving servants. Otherwise, it's illegal reading. Okay? And if it doesn't make you happy when you read it, 
You're reading it right. <laughs> if he doesn't make you happy when you're reading it, you're reading it wrong. How can I say that? It says, blessed are those who read aloud this book and keep what it says, right? The word blessed is makarios. Makarios is the word for happy. Happy are those, not anxious, not freaked out, not, you know, worried about the mark. <laughs> happy are those who read this book. Now, I don't know about you, I, before this series, I didn't know very many people who were happily reading the book of Revelation. <laughs> there were a few. I knew a few, you know. But now I'm starting to get to know a few more because I feel like I'm doing my job. All right? So that's our interpretive model. That's how we're looking at the entire book. Is that fair? Because it's the first three verses of the book. I feel like we should use what the book says it is to interpret the book. You know what I mean? So these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Have you heard this before? The four horsemen of the apocalypse? You heard that? Let me just say it in a different way that'll break you out of the, that mold. Okay? These are the four horsemen that unveil Jesus. You hear four horsemen of the apocalypse, you might all of a sudden, like, like your head starts sweating a little bit. Your face gets a little, like, you tense up a little bit. These are the four horsemen of Christ's unveiling. That's what apocalypse means. So, these are, the, these are four ways, and I would, I would say they're the first four ways that God rides into your life and brings Christ forth. Are you with me? Okay, I know this might be a little bit different, but we talked about the seven-sealed scroll and that the uh, scroll gets opened and a portion of it gets read. Well, that's about to happen in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to read it. It breaks a seal. The lamb actually breaks open a seal. A portion gets read, and the living creatures, in response to that breaking and revealing, call forth each of the four horsemen. So the first four seals are uh, coordinated with the, first four, with the four horsemen. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. So, I know, it's like, when you get to week nine of a series, it's like, how do you even spell recap? I don't even know. Like, this is, anyway. All right. I just put on the screen for you um, the, the, what the four are. We're only going to get through the first two, but let's go ahead and put those up. There's, the first one is a white horse with a rider carrying a bow. The second is a red horse with a rider carrying a sword. Third is a black horse with a rider carrying scales. The fourth is a green horse with a rider named Death, and Death's domain followed him. All right? So just go with me here, and we're only going to get through the first two. I know you're disappointed, but you won't be by the end of this message because you'll be like, I got to think about that for a couple of days. Hold on. All right? So all of these have a color of the horse and a very specific mention of the rider, either carrying something or bringing something. You see that? That's on purpose, okay? Everything in your Bible is on purpose, amen? Like all of it matters, right? Yeah? Okay? So, these are all pictures of Christ coming forth in us. Remember, this is the unveiling of Jesus written in symbol form, sign language. Are you with me? Let's read it. Here's the first horseman, Revelation 6, 1 through 2 in the Passion Translation says, then I watched, this is John speaking, I watched as the lamb broke open the first of the seven seals. Immediately I heard one of the four living creatures call out with a powerful voice of revelation, a voice of unveiling, sounding like thunder. So everyone say thunder. thunder. Saying, come forth. It's my best thunder impression right there. That's all I can do. 
A voice sounded like thunder saying, come forth. The four living creatures. The creature calls forth the rider when the seal is broken. So I looked and behold, there was a bright white horse. Its rider had a bow and was given a crown of victory. He rode out as a conqueror ready to conquer. Now, white is a biblical picture. It's an often used picture for spiritual victory. This is a picture all through the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's a picture, okay? And he was, it even says he was given a crown of victory. So it makes sense. White horse symbolizes victory, and he's given a crown of victory, the victor's crown, yeah? So the first way God wants to ride into your life is with his victory, not yours. <laughs> he wants to bring his victory through you, even if you aren't very victorious, especially when you're not victorious. In fact, in your weakness, he is proven strong. You understand he's not made strong because you're weak. It's proving his strength when you're weak. It says he's made strong, but the word is proven. All right, your weakness doesn't make God stronger. It's not like your weakness takes God to the gym. All right, it's not like it's like, oh, they're weak. Here we go, I gotta lift them up, lift them up. It doesn't make God stronger when you're weak. It just proves that he's strong because he moves on your behalf. Are you with me? So this is, this is confirmed in other places in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God, who in Christ, say in Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession. Say always. always. So this victory riding is the, the victory of Christ leading us. This is the first one on purpose. It's the lead horseman. Are you with me? Leading us in triumphal procession. And through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Amen? Amen. So this is Jesus coming through us in his victory and leading us in triumphal procession. Amen? If you're following the shepherd, you're going to be walking in victory. It's when we stop following him that we lose our victory. Amen? But the minute we start following again, guess what? We get his victory. We can't earn it, but we get it. It's a gift. Are you with me? So this is what this rider does. This is the beginning of the seals being broken open. Now, the rider had a bow, right? Remember that? Had a bow. Remember I told you that everything in your Bible is on purpose? Let me just submit to you that everything not in your Bible is not there on purpose, right? It's, it's absent on purpose. You know what's absent here? The arrows. The rider had a bow, but there's no mention of arrows. And you're like, well, we can assume that there's arrows if he has a bow. That's called an extra biblical assumption. Okay. People want to call me a heretic. I'm just reading the Bible for what it says. Like, you can't say he didn't have any arrows. I'm like, you can't say he did have any arrows. <laughs> I can say there's no mention of arrows. Are you with it? You're reading into You're over-spiritualizing. I'm like, okay. There's a scroll, seal, creatures, shouting, lambs, thrones, and I'm over-spiritualizing? I don't think so. <laughs> the writer had no mention of arrows. Why? I'd like to submit to you that this is Jesus showing he has already conquered, and he's going to continue to conquer hearts but in a new way. Yeah. 
A rider with a bow without arrows either ran out of arrows or doesn't need any. Jesus has already defeated every foe. Amen. Jesus is already riding in victory right now. Amen. If this is the unveiling of Jesus, we can walk into it knowing he is victorious as we speak. He has already put the enemy to open shame. He doesn't need to fight. Only needs to parade his victory. <laughs> Just showing the bow. I mean, like, yep, that was me. I did the thing. It was me. I conquered everyone. I don't have any arrows with me because I used them. I used all the ones I needed to use. This is just a submission for your consideration. But it's not just my idea. It's straight out of the Bible. Colossians 2 verse 15 says this. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. Let's say that together. All the powers and principalities of darkness. Jesus made a spectacle of them, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. He's already defeated them and made it a public display. That's why the cross was so public. This is Christ conquering us with the weapons of the spirit, not of the natural. A rider had a bow, no arrows. Jesus came and he loved his enemies even as they nailed him to a cross. This is how he conquered, by submitting himself into the hands of sinners. This is Jesus's nature. He's a conqueror who does not need the arrows of the natural order. He conquers with love. Have you been conquered by love? I'm not talking about the Cupid, like, baby angel with the arrows and the heart arrows and the he doesn't even need arrows okay he just one look he conquers you amen I've been conquered by love I'm just telling you these who are baptized today got baptized did that because they're conquered by love I'd like to submit to you one more thought about this a rider with a bow is really power restrained I believe this is a picture of meekness. He says, I could if I wanted to, but I won't. I could. I've got the bow. And believe me, if I needed arrows, they would be here. <laughs> right? If I could, I would. Meekness is power restrained. It's power under control. I believe Jesus is meek, don't you? A rider riding in victory with a bow, ready to conquer, but not with the weapons of the natural order. You know that your, we have weapons that pull down strongholds, right? But they are not carnal. That word is they are not natural. They are not from the earthly realm. Let me help you with this. <laughs> you are not going to achieve Christ's victory by praying louder. 
or by getting red in the face, or even by fasting longer. <laughs> the weapons of your warfare aren't where warfare are not carnal. So it doesn't matter how many syllables you put into Jesus when you pray. It doesn't make it more spiritual. Okay? You know those people that can't say Jesus without three syllables? <laughs> Crack me up. In the name of Jesus. It's like that that's he doesn't ride in that type of victory. He's, he rides in on the authority of his name alone, not by the timbre or the pitch or your natural presentation of it. I can say in the name of Jesus, be healed. And metal boxes disappear. Cancer is gone. I don't need to shout. Demons kneel at his feet. I ain't wrestling with no demons. I hug them out. The only people I've ever delivered from demons, which has happened multiple times, I was hugging them. I hugged them till it left. I'll tell you a story. I was in Palestine, and we went to this orphanage, and they call these children children of shame. They're children born out of wedlock. They don't have a birth certificate. They give them a birth certificate, and they write child of shame on their birth certificate. And they go in these orphanages, and it's a Catholic orphanage, and they're doing the the work of the Lord. Seriously, they're rescuing these babies, okay? Because it's illegal. They don't, uh, they don't allow for this kind of thing over there. You know, adoption is illegal over there, all right? And I'm there, and we're with these little beautiful children, and there's this one kid that's just running amok, you know? He actually, to be honest, reminds me of the stories of me from my mom when I was little, okay? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I recognize me, you, you, me. <laughs> That's going to be even funnier in a second. Um, and he's just terrorizing everyone, okay? He's pushing kids down. He's punching the, you know, our team. And, and you know, the, a lot of our team are like, oh, my God, you know? I'm like, here, you, come here. I want that one, you know? As I get down, I start playing with him, and he's literally, like, swinging on me and stuff. I'm like, hey, let's ride the train. And he's like, ah, all right? And he gets so violent, I just decide to pick him up. I'm like, I'm going to pick this kid up. I pick him up. His eyes roll back in his head. His teeth get, I don't even know. I don't know. It was scary looking, okay? And he starts biting my neck. I'm not talking about like, you know, he's going, he's trying to rip flesh from my neck, okay? Got a little freaked out. <laughs> but I know something. I know something about the Lord. He's faithful. And he's always doing something. So I said, Lord, what are you doing about this? Quickly. <laughs> and this kid's fighting to get away from me and trying to bite my neck. I could have just let him go. But he said, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, just. Keep doing that. I'm hugging him. So I just hug him a little tighter. And a few seconds of pain later, this kid goes from biting to totally limp to almost asleep to nuzzling into my neck and kissing my face. And say, just, I don't know the language, but he's like totally different kid trying to talk to me. I'm like, yeah, awesome. Hi, wait, well, you know, hey, what's his name? You know, and I'm like, because they give them new names. Anyway, I learned it in Arabic, and we started playing. I've been back to that orphanage since. 
That kid is totally, completely wonderful and joyful. I believe that child got delivered with a hug. It's happened here in the room. I've hugged demons out. Love is how he conquers. Amen? A rider with a bow coming out ready to conquer, parading his victory, not needing to fight because the battle's been won. That's the first horseman. Oh, mercy, I'm in trouble. I don't have enough time. I wasn't planning on telling you that story, but hallelujah, we'll see. All right, that's the first one. Here's the second horseman. Revelation 6, 3 through 4 says, When he, the lamb, broke open the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, Come forth! And there appeared another horse, red like fiery flames, and its rider was given a great sword and the power to take peace from the earth, causing one to put to death another. You're like, see, I knew it. I knew this book was doom and gloom. I knew this was a terrifying book. See, Caleb. Uh-huh. Stick with me. Red is a picture of the passion and power of God. Flames especially. All right, so imagine a horse on fire. The fire of God is the power and passion of God. All right, you remember Pentecost, tongues of fire, right? The fire of God is the power and passion of God. And this moment right here speaks to me about the divisive nature of truth. Did you know truth is divisive? <laughs> this writer was given a great sword with the power to take peace from the earth and one to put to death another, right? And you're like, wait a minute. If this is all about Jesus. That doesn't sound very much like Jesus. You know, Jesus has the hippie clothes and the birds singing everywhere he goes. And it's all happy times and everything, right? Well, Jesus is a pretty serious dude. He's really serious about his joy. He's really serious about peace. Amen? And the way he wants to bring it is totally his prerogative. Are you with me? You're like, okay, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. Like, this sounds like, you know, the Godfather, not God the Father, right? This sounds really scary. Well, Jesus pretty much quoted that before it was written. He paraphrased that writer and what does way before that was even written down. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, 29 through 39. I want you to notice the context in which Jesus says these really difficult things. The very first thing he says is, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That means they're cheap. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And that's a miracle. Someone say, amen. that is a miracle. I got a lot of thin hair. All right, that's a miracle. All these are numbered. He's like, one, two, three, four. That's crazy. Anyway, all of your head, the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So he starts by talking about your value. And then he says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Those who are baptized today, there's no chance of that happening. Amen. Come on. That's why the power is there, right? So he goes on to say, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Who said that? Jesus. You think the horsemen are unveiling Jesus? Maybe, just maybe. Yeah, I think so too. He goes on to say, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
He interprets what he just said in the next sentence. He's going to give you the interpretation of what he just said. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He's saying, if you put those relationships before our relationship, we're going to have a problem. And then he says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's what these people did today. They took their cross into the baptismal tank, died with him, and came out with a crown, resurrected to new life. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we have talk of not bringing peace but a sword, and then we have talk of losing lives. Let's break it down. It says, the power to take peace from the earth, the rider in Revelation chapter 6, okay? I want to submit to you, you've been hearing that statement wrong your entire life. This entire sermon, you've not heard what that means yet the power to take peace from the earth. Let me submit to you that that means the power to take earthly peace away. The power to take peace from the earth, meaning earth isn't going to be the impetus or the start or the source of your peace anymore. The power to take away earthly peace. Jesus is not trying to get you to hate your parents. Jesus is not trying to get you to have strife in your relationships. He's trying to take away the false peace that comes from the earthly realm. You know what people call peace? They actually call passivity peace. They say, well, let's just not fight about it. Let's just sweep it under the rug, water under the bridge. Oh, we don't need to talk about it. Let's not talk about religion or politics because that'll cause a fight, right? You know what happens? We get really, we get super unskilled in talking about religion or politics because we don't have the skills to walk into those relationships with wholeness because we have no experience. That's what the kind of false peace does. The, oh, we need to have peace, brother. Let's just have peace and let's not deal with it. Peace is not that. Peace, the word shalom, literally in the Hebrew means the spirit that destroys the authorities of chaos. The word shalom if you define the whole word, it is the spirit that destroys the authorities of chaos. Peace is a violent thing. Peace doesn't ignore chaotic things. It steps right in and brings wholeness. A peacemaker is different than a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is the earthly peace. If you're just going to keep the peace, keep the peace, keep the peace, that's the earthly kind of peace. A peacemaker says, I don't care how bad this hurts. We're going to get in there and deal with it. And you and I are going to be whole at the end of this thing. That's shalom. There's a spirit of chaos right now that we are going to tear down through love, through multiple attempts, through relational equity, through calling each other up, not just calling each other out. That's taking away peace from the earth. Earth, you no longer get to be the source of peace. That's what I believe this is saying. The setting against the members of your own household is not creating strife and arguments. It's removing the false security that comes from those relationships and the earthly realm. It's removing the false security from the earthly realm so you can be anchored in heaven. And you can be anchored in his peace. That's what he is writing in your life to do. I'm going to take away the opportunity for you to have peace anywhere but me. 
And that's good news. Because guess what? No matter what happens around you, you can have peace within you. Amen? Come on. Come on. Now, it also says, causing one to put to death another. And you're like, see, see, Caleb. I knew this would be bad news. I knew the last book of the Bible preached the bad news of the gospel. <laughs> gospel means good news. I think some people forget that or don't know. You know, I'm like, do you know what gospel means? It means good news. Anyway, I have good news for you. When Jesus is unveiled and rides into your life, he does not cause us to murder one another. Just, just want to put that out there. Okay. And you're like, well, in the Old Testament, you know, I know, I know, I know. The, uh, the Levitical priesthood was enacted by literally 6,000 people dying by the sword. That's called the ministry of condemnation. We're not in that anymore. And Jesus isn't the officiant of that covenant. Hebrews calls him the officiant of a better covenant and says that covenant is obsolete and fading away in Hebrews chapter 8. It's obsolete and fading away. So if it's obsolete and fading away 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written, or however many years, you think it might be still fading away or faded away by now or supposed to have been, right? So let's not bring old covenant paradigms into new covenant ideas, and let's not put on Jesus the wrong ministry. He's been given the ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. You and I also. So what does this mean? Causing one to put to death another. What if I told you that you are called to put to death what is earthly in you? One to put to death another. What if this is speaking of you putting to death the old ways of the old you? Because you're not you anymore. You're new. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Where am I getting this from? Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 5. This is what it says. If then, say if. if. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised, then seek. Some people think we need to seek so that we'll be raised. Some people think we need to seek the things that are above so that we have favor with God in heaven. No, no. If you've been raised, then you're qualified to seek. Are you with me? If you've been raised, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. <laughs> For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this thing starts with you being raised and you being dead. Your old self dead. Amen? Amen? Come on. That's where it starts. That is the context of the next statement. Are you ready for this? You're, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's that talking about? Oh, the unveiling. When Christ, who is your life, appears, gets unveiled. The revelation of Jesus Christ. When that happens, you also will appear in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. If you've been raised, and if you're dead, hidden in Christ, put to death. 
This isn't you dying to your flesh. This is you because you're a new creation saying, I'm not going to walk in those ways anymore. Jesus has come to take earthly peace away and causing one to put to death another. This is Christ riding into your life as the victorious one, as the one who equips you and empowers you to walk in the way that he walked. Come on, this is a good word. I don't care who you are. That's a good word. Is this changing your perspective a little bit, maybe on the horseman here? This is God's plan. God's plan is to give you his victory. And then his plan is through his passion and his power, he wants to empower you to walk in the way that he walked. Put to death what is earthly. Get rid of the earthly peace, the false peace, the lower peace. This is the plan. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com.